You can talk about church planning all you want to. But somebody's got to do it. Amen. Right? And you, you got to get down. I, I, the, the, and you know what? You can't, you, you reproduce what you are, not what you want to be. Right? Uh, my son, I came into his bedroom. He was about eight years old and he was laying on the floor and had his pillow blanket down there. And I said, what, what are you doing? I said, you got a bed. Why aren't you sleeping in the bed? So he looked at me kind of sheepishly. He said his cousin had told him that if he would sleep on the floor stretched out, he would grow faster than if he was bunched up in the bed. I said, get up on the bed. You're going to be short. Because <laughs> I'm short and your mama's short. <laughs> and you're going to be short. There's nothing you can do about it. I said, and, and unless the Lord blesses you, you're going to be bald too. <laughs> it, you know, people talk about discipleship. Well, if you're not a good saint, you won't ever produce any. Takes one to know one, right? Amen. Well, that's for starters. You can be seated. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I love the practical approach. I appreciate Brother Blackshear inviting me up. I appreciate the district board uh, allowing me to be here. And uh, I, I want to help you. I really do. I was telling Brother Parrish, if you're a home missions pastor, I'm here. I'm not here to fish and to see things, I, which I, I like to fish and I like to see things, but I'm here to help. And, and come, come to me. I'll sit down and talk to you. I won't know everything about your situation, but you can feed stuff to me and I'll bounce it back to you. And, and we'll, we'll talk about it. So I'm available for that. Uh, I never get tired of talking about it. I never get, this is what I love. It's my passion. Amen. I never get tired of talking about church growth, church planting. Uh, I was in a meeting really about six weeks ago, maybe five weeks ago, and a gentleman, Brother Brian Jones, who is now pastor of the first church that I planted, he was saying something about something else. But in, in, in the middle of his talking he said something that it was when he said it it was like heaven's choir sang and I recognized the sound of truth and he said in the context of whatever he was saying he said the elements of revival are unique and you might say delicate and that caught my attention and I even called him and made sure I got exactly what he said. And then I began to pray about it and I began to study it. You know, if, if revival was easy, everybody would be having it. Right? If, if it was uh, uh, just formulaic, then everybody would be doing it. If it was that easy then y'all wouldn't have had to have me back. You could have just done everything I said last year and everybody would be having revival, right? I mean, 
but revival, how many knows revival doesn't work that way? It's, it's more delicate than that. And its elements are unique. And, you know, there are some things we know in our gut, but we've never articulated. Right? And it, it's kind of like my grandmother made really good sweet potato pie. And so I decided I wanted one, one Thanksgiving, so I decided to call her and ask her how she made sweet potato pie. Simple, right? I like grandma's sweet potato pie. She makes sweet potato pie. I call her, find out how I should be able to reproduce exactly grandmother's sweet potato pie, right? Yeah. Well... You know, when she told me how she did it, you know, well, you get you a couple of sweet potatoes and boil them. And then, uh, you know, don't boil them too much. Just boil them just right. You know. <laughs> and put a little cinnamon in there. A little nutmeg. Oh, and an egg. And a little milk. I think that's, oh, some sugar. You had to put sugar in there, too. Well, I'm like, well, how much? Well, you know, not too much. <laughs> you know, just a little. Uh, you know, some people just know how to do that. Some people, you could just get them a basket of food up here, give them about 20 minutes, they figure out how to cook something out of it. Some people are like that, soul winning. I always said if I, there was reincarnation, I want to come back as Jerry Staten. Or Aaron Soto. Some people just have a natural gift of winning souls. Right? I don't. I really don't. There's nothing about me that's a natural soul winner. Everything that I have been able to do, I've had to learn how to do it by study. And I never was able to get my grandmother's recipe down because I wasn't able to, ever able to stand there with her. The only way I could do it is you'd have to stand there with her. And when she reached in the sugar jars, before she dumps it in the bowl, say, stop! And measure how much she got. Write it down, and then when she got a pinch of nutmeg, which she told me, and just a, just a pinch. Well, I mean, you can pinch, and you can pinch, you know. I mean, so you have to stop. Let me measure that, and you could eventually get it right. It'd probably take you though two or three times of her doing that and you measuring it, then you could get it. Well, thank. I I didn't do grand mother's uh, sweet potato pie like that, but thankfully you can do church planning like that. You can study and figure out how to do it. And God can help us. This is a foundational scripture for me. Ecclesiastes 11. The Lord I didn't know the scriptures in the Bible until I started planting churches, and the Lord led me to it one day. You've probably been reading it for years. But for me, it was a bright light shining in darkness. Cast thy bread upon the waters. 
for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls toward the south or toward the north in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thy hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. And for me, this was a foundational principle that there's something mystical and mysterious about how people are saved. Now, the mechanism, and this is, we're pretty much all adults here, and I don't want to get, I'm not going to get too graphic, but it, it, the, he says, you don't know how the bones of a child, uh, uh, how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. Now, we know the mechanism of how we get children, okay? Uh, we, we know about that process, but we don't know. It's a mystery to even our modern scientists how two elements that are invisible to the naked eye, an egg and the sperm, come together and nothing else is ever added to those two elements and a child is formed in the womb and grows up to be an adult. It's a miracle. Science isn't even close to figuring out how all that happens. But we do know that there has to be a man, there has to be a woman, there has to be a marriage, there has to be a consummation, there has to be folic acid taken during the pregnancy, there has to be care taken, we know what can affect that fetus, we know smoking, we know drinking is not good, we, we, we know a whole lot about the process. We know about prenatal care. We know about the birth process. We know then about how to take care. So there's a lot of things we know, but the key factor is a miraculous one. Right? right. And so it is with church planting and the salvation of souls. We know a lot, but we don't know everything and we won't know everything. We don't know the way of the Spirit. Anybody that tells you they know God's ways and they know the way of the Spirit, they're not telling the truth. They know some things, but God's ways are so far above our ways, it's incredible. And we're just arrogant to think that we've got it all figured out. So if you're clueless about how to plant a church, join the crowd. He did say upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, if the Lord build the house, they that build labor in vain. This is a spiritual thing. 
the elements of revival are unique and delicate. How many knows you can follow the same recipe baking a cake and not get the same result? Because of some unique and delicate elements. Those are what I want to focus on today. And I, I know that I, my job is to be practical, and I love to be intensely practical, and, and maybe we'll get that. But I, I'm, yesterday I was a little theoretical, and today I'm going to be a little theoretical. But if you don't get it, if you don't get those elements, and you don't understand, you're not properly positioned. It's kind of like a golf swing, you know, I mean... Before you ever swing the club, you got to get in the right position. If you don't have the right stance and you're not coming, you know, you, you, can't, you can't ever hit a golf ball correctly standing like this. It doesn't matter how much you study the swing and the plane of the swing. If you, 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 you can't grip it like a baseball bat and ever be able to make a proper swing and and some things with church planning people are trying to well where's where's my club up here where I, I, do I have it positioned well, well your feet are back here you know you're never going to hit the ball and so you have to come from the proper position and yesterday I talked you you got to know your place in this thing you got to know what this church is amen this is the kingdom of God amen hallelujah it's necessary that there be a church in your city and so today I, I, I want to talk about the unique and delicate elements of revival let's go to Isaiah 28 23 I'm going to read it out of the ESV. Here again, this is a new passage. It's not a new passage in that I've never read it because I've read through my Bible several times, but it's a new passage for me to apply to church planning. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground when he has leveled its surface? Does he not scatter deal, sow cumin, and put wheat in rows, and barley in its proper place, and emmer as the border? For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Deal is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. But deal is beaten out with a stick, and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thrash it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. 1 Corinthians 3 and 9 tells us that we are God's field. We're God's husbandry. He's continually cultivating us by his word. Does a plowman plow all day and break the clods of his ground that it may receive seed? And does not God by his ministers break up fallow ground? There's a process to planting that 
must be followed, and it, there's many variables to it. We, we can start with the ground. But even before that, perhaps in church planning context, the man. You can't do it like everybody else. God calls you to plant a church. And he calls you. And he knows everything about you. He's been preparing you. When I proposed to my wife, uh, I told her I was going to be a missionary. I said, uh, before you say yes, I said, I want you to know I have nothing to offer to you in the way of financial gain. I said, we probably won't ever have anything. Uh, a chair in the corner of a living room somewhere. I said, because I'm going to be a missionary. And she said, yes, anyway. And so we kind of got started off on the right foot. Everything we have is extra. Amen. And uh, so I, I really thought that I was going to be a foreign missionary. I spent four years uh, with Brother Nix as youth pastor. Sister Heather Soto was in my youth group. I, I said, all those that turned out great, it must have been something I did. You know, those that didn't, well, it's been so many years, I probably didn't have much impact on <laughs> But uh, Sister Soto was one that turned out awesome. Uh, but uh, I was youth pastor, and then it, uh, Brother Nix had a cousin, Wilma Ruth Nix, in South Africa. And she needed to come home on furlough and so uh, to raise funds. And so um, I was sitting in service, and I, God had... Brother Nix had just mentioned that passage, and, and it hit me, and I thought, I think God wants me to go over there and do that. And I'm in a service. Brother Robert Mitchell was preaching, and he stops in the middle of his preaching. He said, my God, Bill. He said, I, see, I just saw Wilma Rue standing next to Scott and Carla. He kept on preaching. <laughs> Got to know Robert Mitchell. But I wound up going and being furlough replacement for Sister Wilma Nix, and I thought that was the beginning of my missionary career. Uh, I thought this would be an interim step, and then uh, I'll be a foreign missionary. Well, I, I'm over in South Africa. I'm 25 years old. I've got three kids, and uh, I am pastoring three churches. I'd never pastored before in my life, and, uh, and I didn't understand the African mind at all okay um, brother Donald Eichard and sister Nix man they just understand I'd call brother Eichard and he said oh yeah this is what's going on and I said how'd you know that <laughs> you know you're just supposed to interpret this you know uh, well you know so I was praying one day and I said Lord you've got to open my understanding to the African mind if you called me here I can't do this without that understanding. The Lord spoke to him very clearly. He said, you don't understand the African mind because I haven't called you here. And he said, I've prepared you all your life for the place that I'm going to put you. And there was a peace that settled over me about that. And went home after 10 months and couple years later, Sister Nix uh, had a terrible car accident, 
And she lingered in the hospital for about 30 days. And as soon as we found out she had the accident, Brother Nix and I flew over there and I took care of those churches while she was in the hospital. And the day she died, I'm in the hospital in Johannesburg and Sister Eichert is standing next to me. We're all crying. She looks at me and she says, Brother Sistrunk, are you sure God hasn't called you here? You're the only one that can do this. But you know what? I knew God hadn't called me. And I said, Sister Eichert, God has not called me. You can't make emotional decisions. If you're planning a church, you better not be there because somebody talked you into it. Hmm? Because you want to prove something. Just because it's a fad thing to do. I, I'm all for recruiting church planners, but the last thing I want is to create a fad of church planning where people aren't, because you know what, some, some people may make it, some people may make it for a little while, some people may escape unscathed, but some people are going to go there and lose their life because they went to the wrong place at the wrong time and they weren't sent there by God. I'm talking about the unique and delicate elements of revival. God's called you to be somewhere. He's prepared you for a work somewhere, sometime specific. You're never going to be successful long term unless you get there. Virginia District asked me to do a video for their church planters uh, about staying and the importance of longevity. And that is an important element. But I started off the video saying, number one, there's no value in staying somewhere just to be staying there. If God said, leave, get out of town now. There's no value. It's rebellion if you stay somewhere and God said you don't need to be here anymore. That's not noble. That's rebellion. Obey God and go where he told you to go. Because you're, you can't build a church without the working of the Spirit. And if God said you're not supposed to be there anymore, there's no value in stubbornness. There's value in persistence. There's value in obedience. There's value in perseverance. But there's no value in stubbornness and pride. You have to evaluate. Does God still want me here? I, I don't know. Some people are, are different. I wake up almost every day and say, God, do you still want me here? I'm always asking that question. I, 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 I'm, I'm constantly, I know the minute the Spirit of God leaves me, everybody's going to see what a colossal failure I really am. I'm looking for the cloud. I want to stay where the cloud is because out from under the cloud is a desert and danger and there's no manna and there's no water. 
You got to make sure. I'm talking, I, I, I've talked to people before that I'm, they're asking me about revival. And while I'm talking to them, the Holy Ghost is saying, they're not supposed to be there. You can read every book you want. You can memorize every church growth book. If you're not supposed to be there... God's prepared you. Quit trying to be somebody else. You can't be somebody else. You got to be who you are. God has, he doesn't put, he made hippopotamuses and he didn't put them on the sides of these mountains in Alaska. Right? Uh, He didn't put ram, sheep in a swamp in Louisiana. He made you and you're fearfully and wonderfully made you've got what it takes to be where you are amen and don't try to be me don't try to be brother soto don't try to be brother blackshear be who you are and god will bless it because he has created you for that purpose the soil is a variable Jesus talked about four different kinds of soil where the seed fell. Uh, you, you, you can, it just takes longer to plant. It, all of these types of soils can bear fruit. Some just take more work than others. Different methods. You may talk to somebody who is working in good ground and you carefully study the methods of how they're planting and what they're doing, and you take them over here and you diligently apply them in your field of stony ground, and you're going to be frustrated because your cookies are not taking, tasting like your mama's cookies. Okay, you're cooking at a different altitude or whatever. You're not getting it right, and you're going to be frustrated And you've got to carefully consider the soil that you are planting in and where God's placed you. Again, God wouldn't have sent you there if it couldn't work. It will work. A church can be planted anywhere. There's no such thing as a burnover field. There's no such thing as uh, 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 unproductive. God can give revival in any place, anywhere, anytime. Amen. So you have to you have to look at uh, the soil. Let me just talk about it. I'm not here today to talk about the soil, but but Isaiah said, if, "You don't plow all the time." He said, "There comes a time where you stop plowing." There's, But some people may have to plow longer than others, right? It depends on your field. If it's it's a field that's never been plowed before, it's obviously going to take a longer time. So we compare ourselves. See, that's where we get in, in, in trouble. We say, well, they've been there five years and they got... 50, 60 people. They, they've been there five years. They've got 150 people. I've been here five years and i got nobody. So what? Did God tell you to still be there? 
What are you going to do? Leave? You're going to jump out of the frying pan into the fire. If you leave, if God still says be there, God still called you there, what you going to do? This is kind of like what Brother Soto was preaching last night. Quit worrying. Start thinking. Think. Is there a God? Yes. Did he tell me to be here? Yes. Well, what am I going to do? Say no to God? I can't say no to God. So dry your tears, roll up your sleeve, get back to it. I, I was pastoring uh, Ann Arbor. I worked there for 10 years. 10 years I was the pastor at Ann Arbor. And when I turned that church over to Pastor Brian Jones, we had the highest attendance we ever had was 72 and it was averaging about 55. When I turned it over to Brother Jones, well, what, what it, uh, we, we were averaging 55 in year 1999. And um, so end of 1999 is when we started uh, our second church. And um, so in 2000, we kicked that off. Uh, we bought a building. It was a miraculous thing. We t sent 13 people from Ann Arbor. And within three years, the church in Clinton uh, was averaging 81 people. In 2003, when I turned that church over to Brother Tim Richmond, it was averaging 81 people. I went back to Ann Arbor, which was averaging about 38. And I would drive, I would do Clinton in the morning and Ann Arbor in the afternoon, and I'd go to Clinton, and we'd have great revival, people praying through, and I'd drive to Ann Arbor, and I would start getting a knot in the pit of my stomach because I knew it was going to be the most difficult struggle. It was going to be like, pulling teeth that we were going to have to fight through so much garbage just to have a tiny sprinkle of Holy Ghost rain. Brother Tecla Marion came to preach for me during that time, and he was in both churches, and we were praying, and we'd walk around that Ann Arbor church, and all he could say, and, and sometimes I'll say this in my own prayer time, and I'll, I'll chuckle at myself, but he says, oh, God, I rebuke of the devil. I rebuke of the devil. I rebuke of the devil. I destroy the workers of Satan. I destroy the workers of Satan. And that would, he would pray that for an hour. And he told me, he said, mm. he said, big devil's here. Big devil. <laughs> And then he said something I've never forgotten. He said to me, he says, this church, he's talking about Clinton. He said, this church make you laugh. He said, this one make you cry. And he was right. And it was different ground. Different ground. I was the same person. I was praying the same amount. Sometimes I preach the same sermon. 
I was living the same level of prayer and fasting and godly living. I think the Lord taught me during that time. You know, I will tell you what, if, I, if Clinton hadn't been having revival, I would have said, God, I must be doing something wrong. Oh, God, what have I done? Jesus, forgive me. What do I need to do? God, I need to fast some more. I need to pray. Some. I would have taken all that on me. I'm not having a revival because I'm an idiot. We take credit, don't we? We, we, it, it, we don't, if God does something great, we're all, but the Lord's working, the Lord's working, you know. But if something goes wrong, it's, what'd I do? What'd I do? You know, if you're going to take credit for the, uh, you can't take credit for the successes or the failure. Give your successes to God, but also give your failures to God. Right? I mean, if you had 200 people in church next Sunday, wouldn't you say, look what God has done? Wouldn't you feel terrified to say, yeah, I know exactly how all that happened. Come talk to me. You know better than that. Well, then quit going home and saying about your failures. Well, it's all me. I I'm, I'm don't know what I'm doing. I'm dumb. I'm not anointed. I must not be in the will of God. I'm a blah, blah, blah. Huh? Are you living for God? You love Jesus? Walking in the Spirit, He gives the increase. I said He gives the increase. You got to give Him the failures as well as the successes. And go back and listen to Brother Soto's sermon over and over again. Don't worry. I feel. I still feel it. I know the church planner thing. Church starts at ten thirty. You get there at nine thirty, and you're feeling good in the spirit and you're praying, oh God, revival, Jesus, hallelujah. 10 o'clock, everything's still good and then you're still the only one there at 1020. And you're like, oh God, Jesus, help us, oh Lord. Oh Jesus, where are they, God? Help us, just checking your phone, see if you got any text messages. They worried, are they mad? Did they backslide? And then somebody comes in, oh, geez, thank you, Jesus. Woo, I'm shouting the glory again because they're, they're, yeah. And it's hard not to do that because we're humans, right? But you know, you can't be ruled by your emotions. You can't be. You got to get those emotions under control. You got to go back to the word of God. Hallelujah. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, I'm called whether they leave me or not. Whether they hate me or not, God, they hated you. They rejected you. Uh, they're going to reject me. I'm going to lose some. Oh, God. That's faith. That's walking by faith. Just shall live by their faith. God's called you. The ground you're working Uh a simplistic explanation, I, uh, stony ground. I, I, I tend to think of people who have been wrecked by sin. They've got addictions in their life, alcohol addiction, meth. Uh, they've got kids by 
10 different people, you know, and they don't know who the dad is and all of this. I, that's stony ground to me. You got to, the seed goes in, boom, it, it, that little thin layer of conviction that they have there, it, it springs up, but then they've got so much junk underneath, they just can't get root. So you got to dig those rocks out, and that's backbreaking work. That's hours on the telephone. That's calls at, in the middle of the night. That's going and getting them out of jail. That, that, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. Somebody's got to do it. Though. I mean, somebody's got to work with those people. You know, when you're a church planner, you can't, you're not an executive pastor. <laughs> well, you are an executive pastor, but you're also the janitor. And you're the administrative pastor, and you're the music pastor. You're all of that. <laughs> and you're just waiting on good ground. You may be waiting a while. Those little cute little stone fences in New England, those stones used to be in the middle of that field. Somebody dug them out, put them up there, made a fence and a border, and then plowed that open. Amen. And that's... Stony ground. Thank God. Some of the people that are best preachers in our movement were stony ground at some point. Somebody worked with them. Somebody put brakes on their car so they could get to church. Somebody brought them groceries. Somebody, oh, we all got stories, don't we? That's, that's wonderful stories. That's stony ground. That's the work of God. It's the work of God. And then there is the wayside ground that is just so hard packed that every time you plant the word on it, somebody, the devil comes and steals it. I, I, I kind of look at these people, wayside, people that are disillusioned about religion, about authority, they're confused about tradition and truth. Uh, I, I'd rather work some, honestly with stony ground than wayside ground sometimes because it's just so hard packed. And you, you teach them about baptism in Jesus' name and they go home and Uncle Joe, who had never invited them to church one time in his life, now he's got all the answers about Baptism. Well, Uncle Joe said, and a buzzard just come in, just eating the seed. All that seed you planted that sweet, here come Uncle Joe. He just sucked it all up, and you got to get back to it, you know. And, and, yeah, I taught a guy the same Bible study. I'm telling you. He was Catholic, and he had a uh, grandfather that was devout Catholic. And I would teach him, I mean, I would teach him, and he'd see it, and the light come on in his eyes, and he'd go over to granddaddy's. And granddaddy would undo everything that I had done, got him confused again. And, and granddaddy was setting up meetings with priests, and I'd teach, and I'd teach. And every handful of seed I sowed, the birds ate every bit of it up. most amazing thing ever so I'm like I get so frustrated 
told my wife, I said, I am not teaching him another week. If he, I'm not even calling him, telling him about the Bible study. If he shows up, fine. And he'd show up. <laughs> he'd show up. I got so tired of teaching him the same thing over and over again. But I did. I, I wish I had a better ending to that story. Uh, he, I never did get a seed to take root. You don't have successes all the time. I wasn't, uh, one thing, he would only come to Bible study, would never come to church. I have learned a little bit since then. I don't mess with people too long that won't come to church. I got a revelation about that. And he would never come to church, and therefore the gentle rain of the Holy Spirit could never soften that ground. So I just kept throwing seed on dry, dusty ground with no spirit. So next time I find a guy like that, I'm going to put him in a chokehold and get him to church. Or I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? If he won't come to church, I'm going to bust out in a prayer meeting, speaking in tongues, praying right there on top of him. I'm just gonna pray. We're going to pray today. And we're going to pray because the Spirit is the only thing that can break that up and get to his heart and help him to experience something. I'm talking about the unique and delicate elements of revival. These are the things that you, you know, maybe you don't like that much salt in that batter. You know, I mean, it's, it, it, it's hard to articulate. Some of it's by trial and error. You plowed too long. And in, in this case, I, I learned by trial and error, don't just keep doing that. Figure out a way to get the guy in a Holy Ghost spiritual environment, okay? So you, you learn. Of course, the good ground is, is easy, but the thorny ground, those people that backslide, thorny ground was good ground. You know, ground that grows good seed can grow bad seed. The thorny ground, the Bible says, it becometh unfruitful. So the thorny ground is no different than good ground, except it wasn't tilled properly. I mean, it wasn't cared for properly by the husbandman, and thorns grew up and choked out the good crops the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches. And that's going to happen to any new convert you get, no matter what ground. I mean, if you get all the stones out so you get enough good ground to work with or you get the wayside ground softened up and plowed so that it receives seed, you still have to make sure that the cares of this life. That's what kills most new converts, isn't it? I got to work. I got a guy right now. I'm, I'm losing him. I feel him. You know how you can feel when you're losing somebody? Yeah. And it's his job. He, he, he just, his job, his job, his job. I can't get through to him that what does it profit a man yeah. if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? And so he's not making that connection with the body and virtues not flowing to him like it should be. And so he's weakening. 
I wish I could save everybody. I do wish I could save everybody. And you keep working. The deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life, that's what keeps people out of church. And you got to work on that. It's not done. It's not done just because you planted the seed. You got to you got to keep it. You got to bring it to fruition. Uh, we talked last year about foundational families. You got to keep on that until they become planted and solid and rooted. You got a big oak tree in your backyard. You don't have to do much to it. It's rooted. It's grounded. It's there. It's providing its own nourishment. But it's it's a sapling. You're going to have to water that thing. You're going to have to make sure the rabbits don't get it. You're going to have to make sure that it, in the wintertime it's, it, it's protected from the wind you, it, until it gains the strength that it needs. I, I think this is the harvest. Listen to what he says. One thing, he... he let me just look here, and I'm, I'm running out of time. But He says, for he is rightly instructed. His God teaches him. His God teaches him. He's wonderful. In counsel and excellent in wisdom. The ancients believed that God taught Adam in the garden agriculture. How would he have known it, right? Everything is planted there fully grown. Adam's put there to keep the garden. And so ancient Hebrews said that that knowledge of agriculture came directly from God to Adam. How to tend that garden. And, of course, then he had to earn a living by planting and growing. But up until then, he hadn't had to do it. So, so God gave Adam that. Well, we know that God has to give us the wisdom we're his husbandry, right? The, the, the church is not just his body. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, he says, uh, uh, you, not only is it your body, but you're his husband, you're his field. And so if we're going to work in this field, God has to teach us. And there's different types of crops here. He says, uh, when he has leveled its service, does he not scatter deal, sow cumin, Put wheat in rows, barley in its proper place, and emmer as the border. There are certain seeds that are scattered, sowed, and then some things are planted. I believe this is talking about the Word of God. And knowing when to scatter when to sow in a row, when to plant carefully spaced apart. I don't know how to teach you that, but God will teach you that. You can improperly sow the word of God. 
just getting up and preaching is not expertly sowing, planting, and scattering. That has to come in prayer. You've got to know what that little church needs. You can't get in a fight with your wife and her telling you, you need to preach on this and get up and preach on it and it be expertly so the word of God. You can't get mad at somebody because they're doing something that bothers you and then blast them over the pulpit. You can't let one of your friends come by. He's coming. I better get this guy lined up. I better, uh, what are they going to think about me? And so you improperly sow the word of God and you wonder why you're not getting a harvest. I don't know much about agriculture, but my grandmother had a garden, and I watched her, and, and, and she would do this with uh, turnip greens. She sewed it in a row. She'd make a trench. Uh, she'd have my uncle come over, plow it up, and put everything in rows. He, and so, I mean, there, there's, there's so many nuances to this thing. How you, and, and so she would take, and she'd take her hoe, and she'd make a trench, and she'd sew those turnip seeds and cover them up but with butter beans she'd take the hoe and she'd she'd dig and she'd put three or four seeds in there and then she'd go a little and then she'd put three or four seeds in there uh tomatoes i never saw her plant a tomato seed in the garden she would get ones that had already been started in the greenhouse somewhere and there were little plantings and then she'd plant the tomatoes like that well, the Word of God, there, uh, Paul talks about the milk and the meat of the Word of God. It has to be administered. The seed has to be planted carefully. If you don't believe that, you're going to mess up. Because you're going to think that the Word can just... It work, and, and it is true. The Word shall not return void. Okay? And, and God's Word is good seed. But good seed sown on bad ground, sown at the wrong time. There's a divine order to agriculture. There's an order to agriculture. There's a time to plant. There's a time to reap. There's a time for all of these things. And so it is with building God's kingdom. This, all of this comes in a timing. thing, And you're taught directly by God. Because it's his field. It's his planting. He is the husbandman. We are laborers in his field. Amen. And there's people in your church, they don't need this particular lesson. They need this one. And you've got to be sensitive to what God wants you to plant in that heart at what time. There's just different, there's different crops and, and, and I'm hastening on the harvest. Once that seed comes up, it's not done. If it's butter beans, they've got to be shelled. If it's wheat, it's got to be threshed. If it's corn, it's got to be shucked. There's that grain that has to, the chaff has to be removed. And there's that whole process. And you don't use the same methods with every crop. Beautiful 
beautiful when he says, Deal is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin, but deal is beaten with a stick and cumin with a rod. There's people in your church, you got to handle in different ways. Don't handle everybody the same way. Some's more fragile than, than others. And, and to get the good out of that, it takes a certain process. There, there are people, I, I feel it in the spirit, what I'm doing. There's people that I, I've got them on a stone tablet and I got a stone in my hand and I'm crushing them. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> That's what they require. His name's John. <laughs> He's telling me how bad it is for me to drink Diet Coke. And I've known for a year he's been smoking. And he's giving everybody, so I'm waiting. Waiting. And now, if I hadn't known some of this process, I'd probably talk to him about it six months ago. It might have been too early for him. But I knew I was going to have to deal with this. So we're sitting there, and he, he's giving me another lecture. I was, well, he's actually asking me a question. He says, you know, I want to be used in the church more. I want, I want to grow. I want you to show me the path to, to get well, he, he had that same conversation with me about eight months ago. And I said, John, you just used the F word sitting here at lunch with your pastor. Right. I said, be patient. God's working on you. You're not ready for leadership yet. <laughs> So I said, John, the reason people are not listening to you, I said, is because you're coming across like a hypocrite. I said, everybody knows you smoke, John. You can't hide it. And you're giving everybody health lessons. I said, deal with the beam that's in your own eye before you try to get the moat out of anybody else's eye. Well, he's taking it. Now, if I tried that with with another person in the church, crushed. It'd be like taking fragile deal, a herb that has to be carefully handled and putting it under the same process as corn or wheat. You'd lose it. Be gone. You'd crush it. And that's who you are planting a church. You're tending God's field. God's precious field. It's his harvest. God's, God's leaning over your shoulder every day. I remember I was in Arkansas preaching and the spirit was moving into the service. 
A word of prophecy came forth. I'll never forget it as long as I live. The Lord said, you asked to be close to me. You've asked for a more intimate relationship with me. He said, come work in my field. He said, when you pull back that sickle, you'll feel my hand upon your hand and you'll feel my hot breath upon your neck as you thrust into the harvest and gather my grain. You're never closer to God than when you're working in his field. And he's got all kinds of different people for you. And, and you got to, God, what do I do with this one? God, what do I do with this one? God, how do I handle this? God, how, how, how am I going to deal with this? God, give me the process and the plan. And you know what? One day you're going to become an expert. Growing deal and cooling. You'll be expert at corn. and You can identify it. And you become skilled at the harvest. But it's delicate. It's unique. There's things you're not in control of. You're, you're not in control of the wind. And you're not in control of the rain. And you're not in control of the increase. And there comes famine time. There comes drought there comes flood. There comes things that, that, that are out of your control, church planter. And you can't, you got to let God be God. And, and it doesn't mean that you haven't carefully tilled the ground and you haven't carefully planted the seed. And you may have done everything just right and all of a sudden uh, a flood comes and washes it all away. It happens. It happens. It happened to Jesus. It happened to the Apostle Paul. It happens. Drought comes and that precious crop in the field, you see it wither and there's not a thing in the world you can do about it. It's the elements of human will. Free will. I wouldn't have done it the way God did it. I, I don't understand it. I wouldn't have done it that way. But he has done it that way. I wouldn't have done Calvary the way he did it. I wouldn't have done Bethlehem that way. I, 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 I'd make people be saved. It's free will business. I don't like it. Except when it comes to me, you know. And you've got to keep at it. And when the flood comes and washes all the seed out, maybe, maybe too late to plant that particular crop again, but you've got to get that field back in shape. You've got to get the debris out of it again, and you've got to plow it again. You've got to look at the calendar. You've got to see what time is it, Lord. What seed do I plant now? And let's, let's get another crop in the field, and let's do this thing again. And let's do this thing again. Then, then you're going to have bumper crop yields. Haven't you ever just knocked doors and done all the outreach things you can, no result, then all of a sudden they come pouring in from somewhere else. You're like, where'd they come from? What happened? And, then what? and, and people say, oh, how are you doing it, brother? And you're like, well... <laughs> 
uh, I, I was, somebody was uh, a precious friend of mine called one time and uh, he said, you need to write a book. He left a message, about a three minute long message, tell me how to write a book, tell me the chapters and how, I mean, he, he had a lot of details about it. And so I, I chuckled, I hung with fun. I, I felt like, yeah, I want to write a book. Now I felt the Lord say, what are you going to say? <laughs> he said, what are you going to say? I said, that's a good point. <laughs> I just worked as hard as I could, and God did it. And I know there's some things you can learn and some things, but at the end of the day, he builds a church. He builds a church. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord right now. Jesus, in your name. Teach us, teach us, God. Teach us, teach us, teach us, teach us, teach us. Hila maharra boho koshata yala baria koshororodorianda la 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 dianda la matorokota yala bahasa la bakai. Oh, ria la boho siada yala baria koshuriandorodoriasata yala bokota la bakai. God, I thank you, Jesus. 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 Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Halamandolo shanda yala bakasata yala boroko sata yala mando robo hosata yala bakata yala bakaya Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You know, we... We fight a lot of things. Uh, the, the devil doesn't want us to have a church. He doesn't want us to have a harvest. You can be seated. One thing you can't fight. There's a divine principle. He says, I will not give my glory to another. If you try to get God's glory for planting the church that he sent you to plant, you're not fighting the devil now. You're fighting God. God says, I can't give harvest here. I can't give increase here because he's going to take my glory. That's one battle you'll never win. And you will be broken. It's God's field. Let him teach you. In conclusion, in conclusion, uh, God put you there. God put you there. And you got to take all the information and you got to let God direct you through it. Nobody can tell you how to have revival in your field. We can give you tips. We can give you pointers. We can bounce things off. But at the end of the day, God didn't call me to your field. God called you your field and Isaiah says this comes from the Lord of hosts he is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom earlier it says for he is rightly instructed talking about the planet his God teaches him you're going to have to have your ear listening for God to teach you and the church growth gurus and the 
in the uh, religious world is not going to be good enough and the church gurus in the UPC world are not good enough for your field. We're here to help you. You've got to apply it. Amen. Praise God. Well, I, I, we could have a prayer meeting here right now. I know that. And we should have. But we all, I want to take a couple minutes, if it's okay, for questions. And just, Brother Blackshirt. Brother, Sister John, you're doing a great job. I thank you very, very much for what you're doing for us. And uh, I, I have a couple of real small questions that you apply to. Uh, most people will go do it if they know where and when. And those two things are very, very important, where and when. How much advice should we, we and we have to make a decision. Mm -hmm. We get all kinds of advice, but the decision is out. We have to make it. But can you give us any little clues on how to get advice from someone that may have better understanding of a situation like that? Yeah. I, listen to people. Okay. Uh, good men. I, you have to have, you should never go plant a church unless people are saying, I feel like this is God's will. Okay. It, it, for example, if I'm under, if I'm in Brother Blackshear's church and I say, Brother Blackshear, I feel a burden on my heart to go plant a church in X community. Brother Blackshear is not going to say, no, I don't think that's God's will. Most likely. Now, he might. But if you're a good person in the church and you've been faithful and stuff, Brother Blackshear will say, well, well, maybe God's calling him. We need more churches. That town needs a church. But that's different, isn't it, than saying, you know, brother, I was praying about that last week. And God told me the same thing. I believe this is the will of God. And I'm going to fund it. You know what? If you can't get anybody to give you $1,000 to go plant a church, you probably shouldn't go. Right? I mean, look at all the wonderful pastors in this room that want to see more churches in Alaska. And you can't get nobody to invest in you to go. You're not listening. Because they also know how dangerous it is to go plant a church if you're not called to plant a church. And let's not, let's not mince words. It's a dangerous business to be out of the will of God. You're liable to lose everything. Okay. You don't want to be out of the will of God. So you've got to, I don't know. When I went to plant a church in Ann Arbor, Brother Blackshear, I... I wanted to plant a church in Ann Arbor. I love the city. The need was so great. It's a cool city. University of Michigan is there. I loved Ann Arbor. I had that in my mind for six years before I actually got there to plant a church in Ann Arbor. And finally, Brother, Brother Nix had said, Scott, give me 18 months here after I got back from Africa. Work for me, and I will help you plant a church in Ann Arbor. At the end of that 18 months... I was still, I said, mm -mm, I'm not going, God, unless you confirm it to me again. Yeah. I said, because I can't go to this city just because I like it, just because it's cool, just because I want to do it. I always trust when I want to do something real bad. That's usually not the will of God. That's just me. If I want to do something really bad and it's, uh, I'm, I'm having these obsessive thoughts about it and I, I want to do it, that's usually not the will of God. So I've learned to distrust that. 
And so I said, God, you got to show me. So I was praying. And I will tell you, it was September 1st was 18 months. And I was praying on August the 30th in the sanctuary of that church. And I said, God, I got to have confirmation. And I'm telling you, now this was back in the 90s. So this is the verbiage I used. But it was like a... My, a fax machine was turned on in my head, and I just got the plan for Ann Arbor. Stage one, stage two, stage three, the plan came. I went immediately from the prayer room, started writing. I still got it in my files today. The plan, it came to me just like a sermon would come to me. And it was a confirmation to me. So you have to be, it's... it's Part of the secret sauce, okay, is finding the timing. I don't know if I answered your question or not or if that was addressed. Yeah. But I let other people. That's why we got district boards. That's why you got a NAM department. And your pastor. I personally think that every church ought to start as a daughter work. That's my personal opinion. Okay, I think that's apostolic. I don't think there's a general call in the book of Acts for uh, missionaries. I think that the church called missionaries and sent missionaries. That's the pattern you see repeated. Okay, the church says, go, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas sent Titus and Timothy. I mean, Paul sent Titus and Timothy. Who's sending you? I don't know that I really believe God just sent you and bypassed every other spiritual authority and voice in your life and, and, and spoke directly to you. That's just not the way the kingdom works. So that's a safeguard. If you're the only one that thinks you ought to go, don't go. So I'm a very Okay. And if you go, you know, you're like you could be a Right. Well, that, that's the wonderful story of the woman at the well, Samaria. Jesus goes out of his way for one. And it's the, it's the story of the Bible. Every person is valuable. And so in Bethel, God loved Bethel. And so he sent Brother Bradbury. Amen. And he's prepared for that. And there's little towns of 50. And that, that's where we've got to get off of our American idea that we think a thousand berries is better than a hundred berries. Okay. A thousand better berries is not better than a hundred berries to God. Okay. Each individual soul is judged on its own merits and deserves a chance for salvation. He, he, he's not willing that any should perish. And so perhaps he would send somebody with less skill in a field that had 
bunch of berries maybe and so as a field that has very few he needs somebody that's skilled and has that can can get the mo i don't know how god works he's the one that sins right and so um but you're you're right there's some places that we that you may go and you're not going to have a church of a thousand in a town of 50 you're just not okay so if god called you to a town of 50 Rejoice that God called you to that. Amen? Amen. Our reward's in heaven. Our reward's not here. Our reward's in heaven. If you think your reward's here, you're, you're shortchanging yourself. Don't be jealous of the pastors that God has given abundance. They're working for it. Believe me. And that's, we can't judge by those standards. Yeah, just uh, to comment on this. So it sounds like it's okay to ask God for a sign. I think it was Isaiah said to Ahaz, ask God for a sign. Oh, I'm not going to ask God. Of course, you know, a virgin's going to have a child. God gave him a sign. So it sounds like it's okay. He didn't ask for a sign. So it sounds like it's okay to ask God for a sign. So, and I think you, you're part of this. But the other thought is, can you define the word apostle in your, how you would define that? And then there's one place in Acts where Paul was going to go to Bithynia. You know, it's like, we're just saying, well, there's apostles everywhere. So, yep. he, you know, I don't know if we, I'm going to Bithynia. That looks like a good field. I don't know if we pray to God about it because the Holy Ghost said, don't go there. You know, I'm going to send you to Macedonia. So, um, maybe you could just call me. Yeah, that's a defining story in my life. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, made a mistake. You know, I mean, he was going to go to Bithynia from his, I believe he sought God about it. And I believe he thought he had the right answer. Have you never sought God about something, thought you heard from God, but you really didn't? If you hadn't, keep living. <laughs> Just because you say, I heard from God, doesn't necessarily mean you heard right. So you can't have too much confidence in your ability. You have to walk carefully before the Lord. And so I get two things from that. One, I can be wrong. Two, I've got to be in the place God wants me. I don't get to choose the place. Okay, uh, he, he wanted to go to Bithynia. The, uh, all of the stats said Bithynia is the place, but God said Macedonia. And so I don't, some people have a philosophy, and, and, and I'm not here to debate that today, but some people have a philosophy that fills the world. Just go get to work. I don't feel that way. I feel like the field is the world, but God has a particular place for you in the field that he's prepared you for be there and so that's uh, I'm not sure I want to address about the apostle other than I don't believe I do believe that there are no more of the foundational apostles I believe those 12 were never to be repeated okay and they had unique special power and commissioned by God but I do believe we do have apostles in the sense of one sent I'm comfortable with the word missionary for apostles, you know, because it, 
it, it takes some of that scripture writing authority out of it. I don't want anybody ever to have scripture writing authority. Okay, it's settled. Okay, so I don't want to use terminology that's going to confuse that. Right? So I'm, I'm comfortable using another word rather than apostle because that, just has, that, that word just is packed with authority that I don't believe exists in the church today. I believe it was for one time. All right. Good. What I'm hearing you say, I just want to bounce this off and see if I'm thinking correctly. Because hmm. uh, I need to think correctly. Uh, the Bible teaches us that we are to ask. We don't ask, we don't receive an answer. That's right. But also, what I'm hearing is <coughs> silence is not an answer. Silence does not mean yes. Right. So my dad, when I would ask him for something, he used the truck or whatever it was, because he just turned and looked at me, did not mean yes. So yeah. When I seek and I ask, I gotta knock. I gotta keep knocking. I gotta keep answering. And if I don't get an answer, that doesn't mean he's not gonna answer. Yeah. He's not answering answer right first. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good, brother Farmer. I think there's several ways God speaks to us. He speaks through us through His Word. He speaks through us through the Spirit, and He speaks through church leaders. And so. Most of our decisions in life can be made by the Word of God. Okay, the answers in the Word of God. Uh, a lot of uh, clarity comes from the preached Word of God and by counsel and the multitude of counsel, there's safety. And then, of course, there's that still small voice. Okay, there's many decisions, most decisions in your life that you don't, have to run through the ringer five times, okay? You know, be faithful to your wife. No, it's not God's will for you to go on vacation by yourself. You know, it's not God's will that you go to dinner with that girl at work because she's your, you know, I mean, just simple stuff. But when it comes to planning a church, when it comes to making a decision, this is not a small business. This is not like opening a coffee shop. This is not yours in any sense of the word. Even though you'll derive your living from it eventually, maybe. It's not yours. And so you're going, if you don't go there by divine mandate of God, it's the works of your own hands. And I'm not saying God... God deals with imperfect human beings, right? Okay, so sometimes a guy might go and God then he, he repents and says, God, I'm sorry for coming here on my own will. And God says, okay, well, I'll bless you now. It does happen. I mean, it does. Uh, look at all the characters in the Bible. They didn't necessarily do what God wanted, but God figured out a way to bless them and keep on with the story. Some of us are operating on plan C, not plan A. <laughs> really, I mean, what happens to you if, you if you marry the wrong person and you didn't marry person A and you married person B? Does that mean God's done with you forever? No, he's merciful. Thank God. And he keeps working with you, you know. And, and uh, thank God for that. 
He says he won't be angry forever. God may get angry. It's what the scripture says. He says he won't be mad forever. He, 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 he gets angry and then we got to go on with the process. So, uh, but you want to go there by divine mandate of God. And sometimes, I, this is what I personally feel. I don't feel like it has to take uh, five years to get a core group together, seven years. It usually does take at least five to seven years. But it doesn't have to. But uh, my observation is it takes five years for God to teach this person, build a man, build a pastor, before he can start putting anything else on top of it. Okay, because there's wrong concepts or they don't know how to win souls or they don't know. And so it, it, it's, it's about personal development in that five to seven years more than it is just about it takes that long to, to do something. So I, I think you got to know, and, and, and in this case, silence is not an answer. It's not permission. And I think you'd be very unwise to say, well, I've prayed and God won't give me an answer, so I'm going to do it anyway. I did that. I decided that out of Bible college. I had told God when I went to Bible college, you better not leave me here sitting on the pew. I was out of a home church there, Brother Craft's church in Jackson, and we had a Bible school, and I'd seen a lot of people that came to Bible school and didn't thrive in ministry. And so uh, I said, I'll go to Bible school, but I'm not going to be one of those guys. And so I think we had uh, 50 people graduate out of our class. And there was, I think me and one other guy is the only person didn't have a place to go. I said, God, I told you not to do this <laughs> to me. <laughs> you know, and uh, so I decided... I made up my mind. I said, well, I'm just going to go help a home missions pastor. I'm going to find somebody on the map, and I'm going to move there and go help them. And about the time I got out of my mouth, the Lord said, no, you're not. <laughs> you better not. And I'm like, yeah, that sounded noble when I said it. But you can't just move yourself around. You know, you got to, you got to, and so here I was, I was married, and uh, I'll tell you how, well, I've got to stop. I'm going to turn this over, over. I kept telling everybody I graduated in, I was on staff for Brother Kraft, so I and I wasn't a slouch, I was a salutatorian of the class, and I, I had my act together, I loved God, I just didn't have a place to go. And uh, so I got married in September. And everybody was asking me, uh, I mean, I, what you going to be doing, Scott? Because, you know, surely you've got some place to go. That was what I heard. You know, well, surely you're not just sitting here on the pew. Surely you got somewhere. To go. Where are you going? And I didn't have an answer. So I kept saying this. I kept saying, well, I don't really know right now, but I feel like around the first of the year something's going to open up. I feel like the Lord's let me know that. So I kept saying that, kept saying that. And... December 26th is my birthday, and I was sitting in my cousin's house in Franklin, Tennessee. Physical therapist, big old house, Mercedes. And he says, well, Scott, what are you going to be doing? Where, where are you? So I said, well, you know, I feel like the Lord has said something's going to open up around the first of the year. 
And it, when I said it, when it came out of my mouth, I was like, well, it is December 26, <laughs> you know, and I still didn't have nothing. I had nothing. <laughs> and so I just kind of uh, mumbled off something and trailed off and hoped he'd change the subject. But actually on uh, January the 2nd, Brother Darrell Johns had been in Michigan preaching the Holiday Youth Convention and Brother William Nix had approached him about a youth pastor. And Brother Nix had asked three different people about a youth pastor and all three of them gave my name as a recommendation. And so uh, Brother Johns called me and on January 2nd. I was pulling him out of going to church. Uh, I talked to him on the phone and I told Carl, I said, well, it is the first of the year. It may mean something. And so, anyway, that's how specific I want to be. I want to be, and then Brother Kraft told me, he said, Scott, he said, I wouldn't let you go any place. He said, but Brother Nix is a good man. I, I, I think this would be a good fit for you. Okay. Then, but still, I hadn't heard the still small voice yet. So I was with Brother Nick for two weeks, and he made me an offer, and I couldn't tell him yes or no because I hadn't got the still small voice. My wife had, but I hadn't. And so then finally I got that still small voice that I know is a voice of God, and it turned out to be right for my life. Okay. And that's kind of the secret sauce. I'm kind of. That's hard to articulate, but you better get in the right position for blessings to come, and so things turn out. Amen. Lord bless you. Brother Blackshear.